we're going to have a prayer service because everything's on my iPad. Um, I'm glad that you guys are here today. We've had a, a great, wow, whirlwind of a morning. Uh, kind of matches my week, and uh, that I can fill you in on later at another time. But, man, I, I, I love getting to baptize first thing in the morning. I ran out of the house. I got all my stuff. I came up here and unlocked because our good friend Hugh Quimby, who normally does all the prep stuff for us, is out of town. So I got up here super early, turned everything on, and kind of run my errands all over the place, realized I forgot my belt, so I got to untuck my shirt this morning, so apologize for that. Um, baptize, if you've, ever, if you've ever had the opportunity to baptize somebody, I know I'm speaking to like a very select few, you get into a very nice, warm tub of water, and then you have to get out and get dressed immediately, and you just start to just get so, your internal body temperature just goes up and up and up and up and up, and so I'm burning up hot, I hope that you're not. Um, I'm, I'm excited about what we have for this morning. It's, it's going to be a, a, a different shift. We've been in this thought of uh, set apart for uh, all summer. It feels like we've been there in Romans uh, for a long time. And we finally wrapped that up last week and, and, and kind of gave you a, a little bit of a, a reprieve from the hard-hitting uh, book of Romans. I've uploaded the majority of all those sermons are on our website right now. So if you missed any of those, you can, you can look at that. I think I've got maybe one or two more I've got to put up. Uh, this week, so you can catch back up with that. And then this week, we wanted to kind of introduce this thought of it takes a village, and, and this is really going to be expounded over the next couple of weeks and on our Sunday nights. And I encourage you, I know Sunday night for a lot of you is a family time uh, where you have just a few moments before you have to send everybody back to work and our kids back to school the next day. But I encourage you to be a part of our Sunday night uh, ministry for the next couple of weeks because it's really going to launch you into a fuller version of what this Sunday mornings are going to be about. Um, I, I started to do some research on this phrase, it takes a village, and I found some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, first and foremost, I found out it's a book uh, written by Hillary Clinton, and uh, after I threw up a little bit in my mouth, I realized what it was about, and, uh, and it was, seriously, it's a book about uh, her vision for America's children, and I thought to myself, who in the right mind would read a book? Uh, written about children from a woman who believes it's okay to kill them before they ever get here. I mean, come on, get your head straight, right? And so this is not about her book, amen, right? It's not ever going to be about that book. Um, some people say this phrase comes from it takes a village, and, and the full phrase is it takes a village to raise a child. And some people say that's a, a, an African proverb, an old African proverb. Some say it's a Native American proverb. Uh, but it all points to this idea that to give a child its best advantage of Growing up to be a fully functioning, healthy adult, it takes more than just the parents to be involved, right? It takes the whole community to be involved in the rearing of the child. I've preached through this before in here years ago where um, we looked at a couple of books that were written by a pastor and author named Reggie, jo Reggie Joyner. Reggie is a pastor in Atlanta, and uh, he wrote a book. Uh, one of them was called Orange Parenting, and uh, it talks about how uh, if you have red parenting at home and yellow parenting in the community, you mix those together and make orange. Uh, and then he wrote another book called Losing Your Marbles. And uh, if you remember, I preached, I had a big jar, this is testing some of your memory, had a big jar of, of a glass jar of marbles on stage, and each marble represents a week that you have from your child from birth until they graduate at 18 years old. Uh, and I, I even called uh, Joey Kathy up on stage, remember, and I grabbed handfuls out and threw them on the ground and uh, those were to represent the weeks that uh, Jude was uh, a little boy. That was to represent the weeks that he'd already lived. And I asked Joey, I said, you know, did you, did you make each one of these weeks count? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know, probably not. I mean, 
And so at the end of that sermon, I, I sent all that home with Joey. I said, here, take this glass jar, take the marbles. You had to come up on stage. This is your consolidation prize uh, for being on stage. Just take this home. Let this be a reminder of, of you. The best part of that story is like six months to a year later, Joey calls me and he said, hey, you remember that big glass jar full of marbles you gave me? I said, yeah. He said, picked it up to move it today. The whole thing shattered, sliced my hand. I'm in the ER getting stitches right now. <laughs> That you can't turn that in on our insurance, that's all you, homie. You've had that for a long time, right? I'm not, I'm not responsible for that. But listen, we're going to take a little bit bigger view, not just a parenting outlook, because it's bigger than parents, okay? We're, we're not going to talk about how to raise children. We've done that a couple different times. I'm not saying I'm not going to do that again. But, but what I want to look at through this series is the idea of what it means to live in community, what it really means to be a village, right? What it means as we, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we as individuals share in some of the responsibility of our community and share in the responsibility, the spiritual responsibility of the people within our community. How can we impact the village that we're in with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so as we kind of dive through this over the next couple of weeks, we're going to think about verses that are really kind of come to the top of your mind. Acts chapter 2, you read the early church uh, kind of memoirs from the early church, you're going to know that they, uh, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? We know those four aspects defined the early church, that they went back to what the apostles, this is the, the disciples, this is Jesus' followers, what were they teaching? Uh, what was the most important thing to them? To fellowship, and we immediately think like potluck fellowship, it's it's, it's not necessarily not that, but it's definitely not just that, okay? This is getting together together. It's encouraging each other. It's lifting each other up and being able to lean on each other when times get hard. To, to breaking the bread, this is, this is the direct resemblance to what we did last Sunday with the Lord's Supper, is that you remember, you never go out throughout your life and forget what Jesus did. And to prayer, which for, for us is going to be a foundational element of what we're going to start doing on Sunday nights, okay? So we, we know these things, and we go, okay, the first early church, they, they lived in this idea of community. If you read down just a couple of verses in verse 44, it says, All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, is this the only way to live in community? No. Is it a good working model? Absolutely. Do I expect us all uh, to stand up and say, okay, I, I need about... Three or four hundred dollars. Anybody got something you can sell so you can give me three or four hundred dollars? No, I don't expect us to do that. What, how great would it be, though, if we shared in each other's burdens? If we recognized the needs, the people that we say we love, and that we learn to kind of be this little village within our state. So, um, as we begin to really look at people's needs, especially the needs of people in the community, we're going to see that people have deep personal needs. They have deep physical needs that need to be met. And, and obviously they have some deep spiritual needs that need to be um, kind of impacted and addressed with the truth of what God's Word says. Now, as about a year and a half ago, uh, when, when you guys voted me in to be the pastor, I said a phrase that I believe that we're going to stand by as long as I'm here. That Emmanuel Church is going to be a mission minded church. And the phrase that I use and have used probably 15 times since then is at any point, anybody in this community 
should be able to ask any one of you where we're involved in missions, and you should be able to give them an answer. That we should never have to go, you know, I don't really know. I don't guess we're doing much of anything. That should never be an answer in our mouth. Obviously, we have some, uh, some pretty hardcore answers to that. Number one is our Haiti mission partnership, right? We've sent two teams uh, of 15 and 25 to Haiti. Uh, we're, we're looking at trying to build that trip again this next year and what that's going to look like and the responsibility of that. Um, those, are, those are big point mission trips, right? There's a number of you have gone on different individual mission trips and have made some overseas investments to, to people and, and been able to see God work and do things in a country that's not our own. Uh, but as I was thinking through, I thought that's not the only places that we've done that. We, as Emmanuel, are, um, are, are doing missions in our own little field here, our own little village here, in a number of different ways. One of them, and most people don't even think about this as a mission thing, but our wild game festivals. We have anywhere between 400 and 600 people that walk into our church and hear the gospel presented to them. And a lot of them, I'll say, most of them are not church people. Yeah, some of them do go to church here, they go to church over there, or, or they maybe are hit and miss, but the majority of the people who come in and eat that meal and get to hear the gospel and listen to the band and do all the stuff that we do during the Wild Game Festival are unchurched people. Um, we do a great job with VBS and, um, and our, our outreach into the community with that. We do um, our, our fall festival. Uh, we're, we're getting that worked up and going for the end of this next month uh, and how we can do something within our community that, that just provides a way for people to understand, you know what, this church cares about you, cares about what's going on in your life, and we want to be there if you need anything. Um, Ms. Rhonda Williams has done an incredible job with this just one um, feeding ministry. Remember, we do this every week. If you don't know what that is, then you bring non-perishable food items to our church. We deliver that to the school, and they put those food items in the backpacks of kids who don't get anything else to eat unless they're eating their free breakfast or their free lunch at school. They put extra food in them over the weekend so they have something to sustain them over the weekend. This is incredible ministry of our church. That's mission work in our own backyard. Uh, Mr. Charles O'Neill. Most of y'all don't even know that Mr. Charles, as the, the I was going to say the old treasurer. That's not correct. He's the former treasurer of the church. He still, he's waving. He still handles what's called our care fund. And, and most of you don't even know about this. This is something that he's been doing for a very long time. People in our community need help. If they need help with an electric bill, or they've run out of food, or um, they need help getting their prescription medicine filled, um, there's a number of different needs that go through that. We funnel all those straight to Mr. Charles. Mr. Charles sits down with them face-to-face, -face, talks about it. Uh, if they can't meet face-to-face, -face, he'll talk to them over the telephone. He'll get all kinds of information from them. And then we have a little fund, a little benevolent fund that we... Uh, are able to help people out in the community with. You, as a church, can, can, can contribute to that fund. If you, I want you to listen, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Give your tithe. Do that first. Uh, and we get this so confused in church, and it's a whole other sermon, but our tithe and our offering are two different things. We give our tithe first. That's our 10%. That's what God asks for, and that's what we should be giving. And then above that, it's called sacrificial giving. That's an offering, okay? And when we do that, you can designate that. If you say, you know what, this week, I'm going to give an extra $10, and we're just going to give it to the care fund. And that's going to help somebody in this community. I don't even have to know their name. I don't have to know their need. But I know that Mr. Charles is going to allocate that correctly. We do these types of things from 
Fall Fest, to uh, uh, our VBS, to Care Fund, to uh, our Jerusalem House right next door, uh, where we give clothes to people who need clothes every week. That's open, and we have a team of ladies who are over there. And, you know, that's all mission-minded things. Those are all things that tie back the heart of the gospel to meet the needs of the people who are in our area and impact them for Jesus. That's what this is all about. It all works together. And so last Sunday, uh, I introduced, on Sunday night, I introduced this topic of uh, it takes a village and, and how our, what we're going to do as a community outreach is kind of born out of these ideas. Um, we are going to be a, a consistent presence within our community. We have to be because we're called to be through Scripture. And so once we establish some groundwork on Sunday nights and kind of get a big group together and know what's going to happen, then we're going to launch that the first Sunday of October. Um, and if you don't know what that entails or you want some more information about that, then I encourage you to show up tonight. I encourage you to be here tonight to learn what it means, how we're really going to get our hands dirty and our feet walking and really get into our communities and what that's going to look like. And so I kind of gave some quick rundowns of, of some things. We talked about how this whole idea was born. It was born out of a vision that, um, that came through our Haiti mission trips um, because the, the way that Mission of Hope in Haiti does their villages is incredible. And I'm not going to bore you with those details if you've already heard them before. If you haven't, then come tonight and I'll hit them again. But they have people who are strategically in place that grew up in the village, that know the people in the village, and that know the spiritual condition of those people. When we go down to help in Haiti, we go down and help what they call a village champion. And we go to them and we say, where are we going today? And they say, I know we're going to go to these five or six houses and I want you to tell them about Jesus because they don't know. How do they know those people? It's because they get to know them. They're in their life. They're around them all day long. And, and really, when we start thinking about impacting our community, how best can we do that other than through you guys who know the people in your community, who know the spiritual needs of the people in your community, who know the physical needs of the people in your community. So we're going to break that all out. It's going to be great. I can't really, really can't wait to start. So, here's some realities. Reality number one is not everybody's going to be involved in this. Not everybody's going to buy into this idea of community groups. That's what we're calling our, our Sunday nights and when we go out in our outreach, this community group idea. Not everybody's going to be able to invest in the lives of hurting people in our community. I understand that. But here's the other reality. I've got a few weeks on Sunday mornings to communicate you, to you the deep need for this. And I'm not out to change your mind. I'm out to let God change your mind. And so that when we come back in October, October 1st, that's first Sunday night, that there's a whole group of people from Emmanuel Church who say, you know what, I care about the people who I live around. And I want to be involved in what's going on in their lives. So you've got your Bible. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. This is uh, where we're going to stay this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 is a uh, Paul's letter to uh, the Galatians, obviously the church in Galatia. And... Um, and they are kind of struggling through some things, and he kind of encourages them and kind of gives them these words of wisdom that are at the end of this chapter that I think so apply to what we have for us this morning. Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 1, let's read together. It says this, Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Paul clearly states that we're to be involved in the spiritual lives of people around us. 
if someone is caught in a sin, then you who are spiritual should restore him gently. This idea of caught in a sin, I have, I think on the screen it says, um, my question to you guys is, do you know people who are caught in a sin? Have you ever experienced like, and, and seen kind of from a third party perspective of someone who's caught up in something that they shouldn't be caught up in? Maybe they're wrapped up in some stuff that, that you know is not healthy and not going to lead anywhere good. It's not going to go down a road that they want to walk. And you're kind of watching from the outside and you go, man, they're getting caught up in something. That word caught uh, literally translates into uh, caught red-handed. It's almost like this, oh no, what do I do now? Can't do anything about, can't cover this up, I can't, I can't talk my way out of it. Everybody knows that I've been caught. But there's also this allusion to the fact that they were caught off guard. That before they even knew it, before there was any you know, presupposition to sin or any, in, you know, any temptation, major temptation to pull them in, it's just they were just caught off guard, and the next thing they know, they're neck deep in something that they never wanted to be in. Sometimes there's intention being caught in a sin. Sometimes we are intentionally not following what God wants for us, and we're intentionally chasing after something that we know probably is not good. Sometimes there's not an intention. Sometimes there's just this moment where we go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I did that, that dumb thing, or I made this bad decision, or I cannot believe this is happening because of this. I never expected this to be the outcome. I, I believe that we could kind of fall on both sides of that category. I think a lot of the times, if we're honest with ourselves, we know what we're getting ourselves into. We can't play ignorant, and we can't play dumb, and oh, I never thought that I would get in trouble for that. Yes, you did. We've got to assume some responsibility with that. But the word kind of plays on both sides, caught red-handed or caught off guard. But what I, I love is this idea of someone caught in a sin kind of pushes us back to Hebrews chapter 12. You guys know this passage. Let us throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Y'all remember that verse? This sin that entangles us, it's just this idea of being wrapped up in something that trips us up, that we fall over all the time over and over again. So let me re-ask that question. Instead of from a third-party perspective, can you be honest enough with yourself this morning to say, you know what, maybe I'm caught up in a sin. Maybe I'm caught in an area of my life where I know I'm not supposed to be. Maybe I'm kind of wrapped up in some stuff that, that I know is not healthy and know is not what God has for me. It's not the best. See, I think when we get into that, if you, if you go back to the, the King James Version, okay, we can go back to the King James Version, that, that version says, overcome by sin. You know someone who is overcome by sin. Isn't that the feeling that it feels like? That when you're so wrapped up in, in the just junk that you know you're not supposed to be in, that it, it feels like you're just kind of drowning in it. That the wave is crashing over your head and you just can't quite catch your breath. I remember we were in Panama with our students years ago, and, uh, and the water was not rough. When it's really rough, we never let them go out too far. Um, but there's always an adult in the water with all the kids. And so um, I just happened to be out there, I think maybe even uh, Matt Young and maybe Kevin Taylor, who's now gone and doing his own student ministry. Um, 
and uh, we were out there just hanging out and playing and throwing a ball and just being silly, and the waves started kind of picking up a little bit. And, and as an adult, I'm going, okay, we probably need to start pushing everybody a little bit closer to the shore. And I look up, and I see this little sixth-grade girl, and her eyes are this big, and every time a wave would come in, it would go over the top of her head. And she just, her eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger, and she started gasping and gasping more for air, and she just reached out, just reached out her hand, just somebody grabbed me. Um, and so I got her, got her up and pulled her up out of the water a little bit and let her kind of catch her breath and, you know, said, go to the shore, you know, go to the, to the land, right? Don't stay out here anymore. Uh, it's that feeling, you know, that, that panicked feeling of that you're being overcome that just keeps one wave after the other after the other. And a lot of us, I, I know that a lot of us feel that way when it comes to a certain area in our life, and it's an area that we know that we've not been living right in. And when it comes to trying to get to land, when it comes to trying to get to shore, you think there's no way I can do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drown in the sin before this, my opportunity to get saved is ever going to happen. Listen, it says that those who are spiritual should restore them gently. This idea of restore is a medical term. It's a medical term that says, that's used to to set dislocated joints. Isn't that incredible? I like to think about if something's out of place, that something's not right, then we're supposed to restore it. We're supposed to put it back in. I grew up with a kid who, who had some kind of shoulder issue, and all the time his shoulder would pop out of socket. I mean, it was just all the time. It would pop out, and he would go, he'd walk around with his shoulder hanging down, and he'd find a wall somewhere, and he'd slam his shoulder back into it, pop back in. And I'm like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen in my life. Right? Don't ever do that around me again. But there's this idea of, of, of being restored back. Here's what one commentator said. I think I've got it up on the screen. This idea of restore is that of correcting with no feeling of resentment or thought of punishment. That we're supposed to put people back without looking at them going, I cannot believe you've done that. How in the world were you that stupid? I can't wait to see what God's going to do to get you for this. Why would we try to restore people with that kind of attitude? Why would we try to put people back into sockets, put people back into position, in the right position, with any kind of attitude of superiority or resentment or punishment? Listen, the restoration process hurts, right? If you ever had anything that's dislocated, you know that it hurts when it gets popped back in. Right? But it hurts less than living life out of socket. And for some of you, you're choosing to live life out of joint because you're afraid of how hard the restoration is going to be. And let me just tell you, from firsthand experience, it's easier and it's less painful to be restored than it is to live life out of joint. It says where we all get mixed up, and if I'm just going to be honest with you, it says those who are spiritual should restore, right? We immediately throw a flag, go, that's not me. I'm so not spiritual. I'm not supposed to help anybody because I am messed up. I got issues upon issues. Y'all don't even want to start talking about it, right? We also walk around going, I can't help those people. I got my own stuff to deal with. I got my own life. I got my own set of issues that's going on. Guess what? So does everybody else. And you say, well, I'm not spiritual. I make a lot of mistakes. I make a lot of, I do a lot of things that I'm not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to be in this idea of 
quote-unquote, spiritual. This uh, Greek word for spiritual is pneumatikos, and I know that's a long word, but it just means this. The part of a man which is akin to God and serves as his instrument. In other words, someone being used by God. Those who are spiritual, those who are being used by God, should restore him gently. And so I love that this takes away our excuse. Because here's what I got. I'm not spiritual, so I can't be used by God. But the definition says, being spiritual is being used by God. And so we can't say, well, I'm not very spiritual, so I'm not going to be used. Well, you're not ever going to be used if you keep saying, I'm not going to. But as soon as you say, God, use me in whatever way you want me to, that word applies to you. Now you are spiritual. Isn't that great? That's like saying, I can't do this, so I'm never going to be able to. You're right. You're never going to be able to if you say you can. But as soon as you say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, that classifies you underneath that umbrella of now you're spiritual. And so we read this verse again. Brothers, someone's caught in sin. You who are spiritual, you who are willing to be used by God, restore him gently. Takes away our excuse. If you say, I'm not willing to get in the lives of people who need to be restored, then you're looking at God saying, I will not be used by you. Good luck. Good luck. Let me know how that goes, right? How could you ever do that? How could you ever look and say, I will not be used by you? Look at the second part of this verse, because we stopped kind of in the middle. Someone's caught in sin, you are spiritual, should restore him gently, but watch yourself. Are you also may be tempted? He's saying here, don't think that you're better than him. Don't think that you've got this thing licked. You better watch yourself because you can be drugged down into the same mess that that person's in. Benson Commentary says this, remembering how liable you are to yourself to error and how much kindness and indulgence should be therefore shown to others, you are to act as if you felt it possible that you might also be overtaken with fault. And you should act as you wish that others would toward you. This is, just a, this is just a moment of realization. Say, you know what, I'm not better than you. I've struggled with different stuff, or maybe I've struggled with the exact same thing, but let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to be here to watch you, and I'm going to be here to help you, but I'm going to watch myself. I'm not going to get dragged down in your stuff. I'm not going to get wrapped up in the stuff that you're wrapped up into. Paul's saying here, remember, we can all be tempted. We can all fall. You're not the hero of the story. I love this. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. So watch yourself so that you don't get drugged down in the same stuff. Verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Here, here we are with this idea of community mindset again, right? It's this do life together. Share with each other. Get real. Get honest. Go beyond superficial conversation and share in the burdens of, of, with each other. And here's the honest answer to that, right? The stereotypical answer is women do this so much more than men do. 
Women get together and they just right? That's what we hear, ladies. Men get together and we go, hey, so, nothing good. Have you ever, men, have you ever been in the same room with someone that's so awkward and you just don't even know what to say and you sit there and like look at each other and be like, You can do this with people you know really well, right? You can be around somebody that you, you are around all the time and you're just like, where's my phone? Right? You just want to, that's, that's our default. We just do this. We go, so, uh, we just keep looking because we don't know what else to do, right? But here's the reality. We are all hardwired to do life together. And you go, oh, it's just real hard for me to express my feelings and stuff. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to do life alone. You have to do it together. And men and women both have the same struggle. We talk surface level. Men are talking surface level uh, fantasy football, which I think is sad. It just really, it just is. I know I just hurt a lot of people's feelings. Um, we talk about sports, and we talk about football, and we talk about hunting, and we talk about fishing, we talk about surface level stuff. Ladies, talk about your own level. I don't know what you talk about because you don't talk to me about it, thank God. Um, but you talk about your own surface level stuff, right? But at some point, we have to get to a point with some people that are close to us. We don't do this with everybody. I'm not asking you to go to Walmart this afternoon and walk by your cashier and go, you know what I'm struggling with in my life, this and this and this and this. I'm not asking you to do that. You get people who you're close to. You get people that you can trust, and you go beyond the superficial level, and you get down in the real nuts and bolts of what's going on in your life. That's where you share and carry each other's burdens. That's where you do life together. That's, that's where these verses like Proverbs 27, 17, is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right? James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other uh, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you are like me and you grew up with the King James Version Bible, then you remember it like this. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if you don't know what those words were, neither did I when I memorized it. But you, you read in and you go, wow, it means when we pray for each other, when we, when we really get down and we share with each other, then God hears that. And He hears our prayer, and it's going to bring about change. It's going to bring about the change that we desperately need. When we begin to carry each other's burdens, then we see the gospel played out in real life. We go up to people who we maybe not know very well. Well, what we're going to do on some Sunday nights. We're going we're gonna to go up to people's homes that we don't know, that maybe are in an area of town that we don't ever go to, that maybe don't look like the manicured lawns of our families and our houses. Maybe they don't have as much as we have. Maybe they don't really have much at all. And we're going to talk to some people. And we're going to be very easy and very relaxed. And we're just going to tell them, listen, Emmanuel Church cares about you. And if there's something that we can do for you, please let us know. Can we pray for you? Is there anything specifically that we can pray for you about? Listen, you ask somebody that question, it's going to take them off guard. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got some stuff going on. I'd, I'd love for you guys to pray for me about that. Some of your answers are going to be no. Thank you. No. That's okay. But when we begin to carry each other's burdens, because you're going to go home and you're going to go, okay, God, 
that person I prayed with today, God, would you just meet their need? God, can I just carry a little bit of that for them for right now? Can I just lift that up to you? Can I lift up their burden to you, God? That's what I want to do. This is, this is communal living in its best. And, and it's uncomfortable, and it's a little awkward at times, but it's so, so needed. Then it says, when you bear the burdens, carry each other's burdens, in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, right? And so when we do this, we're fulfilling the law. What's the law of Christ? John 13 says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is how all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Hear that phrase repeated over and over. What do you think Jesus is trying to tell us? Love one another, right? And this is how you're going to be defined. This is how people are going to know that you are my followers. This is how people are going to know that you're a Christian if you love people. You know, one of the earliest, a few of the earliest uh, accusations against the first church is you have Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to, to heaven. And then you have Peter that stands up in Acts and he begins to preach this incredible message. If you've not read the book of Acts in a while, you need to read the first three or four chapters of Acts. It's incredible. Peter, who shied away from the little girl who asked him if he was a Jesus follower, stands up just a few uh, days or weeks later in front of everybody and starts saying, this Jesus is the one that the Old Testament has pointed to, and you're the one, he starts pointing fingers, you're the ones who hung him on a tree, and he has beaten and conquered death, and now he's raised, and he's living in heaven with his God the Father. He's just this powerful, all-out man. And they start meeting together, and the church starts developing and growing, and people get saved, and, and the next thing you see is more and more are added, and more and more are added, and, and we have all these churches that are starting. Paul comes along, starts locking all these churches in and planting churches all over the place. You know what the, what the major Gentile, the, the outsiders, you know what their major complaint against Christianity were in the early church? Incest. You know why? They called each other brother and sister. Because they saw their relationship deeper than just, hey, I know you. It's, hey, you're, you're my, we're, we're, kin, we're, we're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. They accused the church of cannibalism. Because they didn't understand the reason for the Lord's Supper. They'd say things like, take, eat, this is the body of Christ, and drink, this is the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. They didn't understand it. And they, they accused them of eating children. You know why? Because the early church were the first people that cared for orphans. They'd take them in. They'd give them a home. They'd provide for them instead of just leaving them on the street. What are these things all pointing to? They loved people. They just loved people. They loved their fellow believers. They loved Jesus and, and pointed everything back to the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And he loved people in the community enough to take them in and say, you know what, we're, we're just here for you. We'll, we'll do whatever we can do to help out. Uh, they were defined by love. Listen, when you carry your brother's burden. You're fulfilling the law of love. The law of love one another that Jesus gave us. When we, when we live in this mindset and this idea of community and what that really means, then we're really beginning to understand what it means to be a Christ follower. So,
We understand that we're to lift each other up, that we're supposed to carry each other's burdens, and that uh, we're supposed to love people. But here's where it gets hard. We're to do these things for people that we don't like. Maybe that you have an issue with, or that has offended you maybe in the recent past or in the distant past. We're to do that for people who we're not comfortable around, who don't believe what we believe, who are hard to love. We're to do that for people who are takers. You know people who are takers. They just always want more, 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 more. We're to do that for people who take advantage of other people. For people who are for drunks and for liars and for cheaters. People who've run around on their husbands or on their wives people who have hurt you or talked bad about you who have gossiped and run you into the ground or to do that for black people white people, Hispanic people for rich people and poor people for clean people and for dirty people we are to show the law of love, the love of Christ everywhere listen church we're not going to skip houses we're not going to skip neighborhoods. We want everybody in this town to know that they have a place here. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter whether you're comfortable or not. Because here's the reality. I mean, we'd never say this, but like the reality is, is that some of you don't want to associate with those kind of people. Read what Paul says in verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Wow. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let me tell you, church, there, there is a center of the universe and you are not it, right? We are just a bunch of nothing. And we should never begin to think of ourselves as something. Because when we are nothings, we are fully His. If you're too good to get involved with people who live in the bad part of town, then you're deceived. If you're too good to love on people because of the condition of their clothes, then you are deceived. If you're too good to share the love of Jesus with someone because of the color of their skin, then you don't understand the nothing that you are. We're just a bunch of nothings. 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential or not noble. But God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly things, and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no man can boast except in Him. Listen, we are nothing. And we walk around like we're a bunch of somethings, right? Like we walk around like we kind of got it together, like we know what's going on. We are kind of this middle class, middle upper class, and we kind of know what's happening. And, and, and to kind of put ourselves in a position that's outside of our comfort area, kind of, it's just a little, I don't know if we want to do that. But I, if you don't get anything 
morning, you go home, you eat lunch, you sit around the table and you say, somebody asked, what did your preacher say this morning? Say this. He said that I'm a nothing. You take that to the bank. That'll preach a whole message by itself. He said I'm a nothing. Because when I think I'm a somebody, I'm deceiving myself. He ends this whole thought with this challenge in verse 4 and 5. And that's kind of how we're going to wrap up this morning. He says this. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. You read that, you go, hang on, man. Hold up. You just said that we're supposed to bear with each other's burdens, and now you're saying that I have to carry my own load. What in the world are you talking about? Okay, This is not a contradiction in Scripture. It's a, it's a poor verbiage. Okay, We have said this a thousand times. The English language, as complex as it is, is, is horrible in its ability to express. Okay, And so when we say certain words, when we read certain words in English, if you go back to the real word and what it meant in their culture, it's a, it's a richer text. Okay, The Greek words are like this all over the place. Hebrew, if you go to the Old Testament, Hebrew words are just like this. They have just a, they have just a broader expression in their, in their vernacular. Okay? And so we read this, it's really understanding this idea of Paul saying here that we're supposed to examine ourselves, that we're supposed to kind of look inward and see where our motives lie. Are we truly concerned for others? Are we truly in loving our neighbors? Are we defined, are we known as Christ followers because of our love for other people? We do some introspective thought. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We don't compare ourselves to other churches. We don't compare ourselves to how others love. But we compare that which we show to the love that God shows us. Okay, God, am I, am I loving people like you love me? And it says this idea of each man should carry his own load. That points back to this idea of are you are you really doing what God's told you? Examine yourself. Are you really doing? Because each man is going to have to come before God with his load and say, This is how I love. Each man is going to have to answer for how he did or did not love. Yes, we share in the burdens of other people. We do this in our community mindset. We do this in our groups that we're going to have. But when it comes down to how I'm personally acting, I'm going to be responsible for that. I have to carry my load. I have to be able to present this to Jesus and say, listen, I loved everybody I could. I'm sure I missed people along the way and I, I had life that kind of came in and, and drew me away for seasons and we all had that, but I, I did the best that I could to live to love everybody that I could love. Or you're going to come to him and say, I love the people that were easy to love. Or I love the people that I liked. I didn't really extend that any further than that. I didn't really go any deeper than that. Listen, we're going to launch these community groups. Um, and we're going we're gonna to be a consistent 
presence within our community. And we're going to go to the good neighborhoods and the bad neighborhoods. And we're going to love saved people and lost people. And we're going to point people to Jesus no matter the condition that they are in. Some of that's going to have to be met by physical need first, right? We're going to follow the example of Jesus in, in Matthew where he, he gets people together and he, he meets their physical need before he ever talks spiritually to them. He, he comes in and, and, and has to meet what's most prevalent in their life. Listen, if, if we walk up to a house and their roof has fallen in and they don't have any food and they haven't eaten in three days and we walk up and say, how can I pray for you? What can I do? Oh, I tell you what, I will pray that God sends you some food. Can we turn around and walk off? Have we done anything for that person? Absolutely not. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to start getting in the roofing business and that we're going to fix up houses. I'm not saying that we can't do that, right? We, we just can't. But what we can do is we can meet some small physical needs. We can meet some small physical needs of the people who are around us and say, you know what, I care about you, so let me just, let me just do this for you. Nothing in return. No, I don't need anything back. Just let us help you out. And the next time you go to that person, you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember that you helped them. That you cared enough. That you loved them. That you showed and extended grace. And they're going to listen to you. Why did you do that? Why would, why would you do that? I gave a guy who'd gone through with the boys at McDonald's um, months ago. There was a guy who was backpacking through and you could tell he didn't have a whole lot. Uh, I don't, if you ever catch me with cash, it's a rarity. I never have cash on me, ever. Uh, I use a card for everything. And uh, I had gone through the line, and, and, and we were getting our food and pulling out, and he was up at the front, and I just rolled my window down. I said, hey, man, you okay? He said, man, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. I sure would appreciate if you got a couple of dollars. I said, dude, I'm so sorry. I don't have any cash with me. He said, it's okay. I understand. I understand. And uh, I drove off, and as soon as I hit the street. I thought, well, I could buy it for him. I don't have to give him money. That was stupid. So I turned around. And I came back through and I said, hey, dude, what do you want? He said, oh, I thought you said, no, 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 no. I said, no, what do you want? He said, I'm going to buy it for you. He said, just a sandwich would be great, something to drink. So I bought him a meal. I don't know what I got. Went through the line. So I'll be right back. Went through the line again and, and got us food and handed it over to him. And he said, you're a Christian, aren't you? Listen, I, we can't go out and buy everybody happy meals. But we can impact people in the area that they're at and let them know that Emmanuel Church cares deeply about them and about their spiritual condition. That's what Sunday nights are going to be about. That's what it's all going to be pointed to. When our time is up, it's all said and done, we can go to heaven, we can look at Jesus and say, I was nothing but I love people like you love me. Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible.
Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.